Come here, Ray. Sorry, Age, you keep stopping. He just has a thing for lampposts. We haven't seen a bin for a while. There's a <laughs> bin coming up, so I'm... Ray, there's one coming up. Ray, there's a bin coming so up. So I need about another 2,000 paces for you and you'll be there. <laughs> this week on Walking the Dog, I went over to West London to chat to TV presenter, radio host, and one of Birmingham's best-known exports. No, I'm not forgetting you, Frank Skinner, Adrian Childs. Adrian doesn't have a dog himself, but he does have a sort of honorary dog that belongs to a good friend of his, and that's Hugo, a beautiful cockapoo. Well, I think he's beautiful. Adrian was worried he's going prematurely grey. That's the dog, by the way. I decided to bring along Raymond, my Shih Tzu, and so we all headed out for a stroll in the sunshine to chat about everything, really. There's very little Adrian won't talk about. He's fabulously honest. We discussed his childhood and the best piece of advice his dad had ever given him, his experiences with anxiety and panic attacks during a challenging time in his TV career, and his friendship with Frank Skinner. I love chatting to Adrian. Even if he did hand over quite a lot of the poo bag duties to me, I really hope you enjoy our dog walk. If you do, please remember to rate, review and subscribe on iTunes. Here's Adrian. Raymond, is it Raymond or Ray? Do you, do you mind if I call him Ray? I, I don't know if we'll ever know the answer to that question. Raymond! So where are we going, Aid? We're going to Acton Green. Can we get a the, coffee the, on the way? Yeah, which the locals are very concerned to know he's part of Chiswick, not Acton. Oh, okay. But, um, let's, let's just be clear, it's Acton Green. And uh, my dog needs a poo. You said it's your dog? No, it's my mate's dog, but the... Uh, I picked him up first thing this morning. We're very close, me and Hugo. And uh, Hugo's the dog, we yeah, should say. And he's been... Uh, but then I had to take my daughter to go for, for a GCSE and he'd just been farting like mad to the extent that we had to stop the car and check he hadn't done something on the back seat. But it was, <laughs> the smell was beyond fart. It was sort of... It was so overpowering. And to be honest, I can't unsmell it. It's stuck up my She'll nostrils. never forget this day. No. I don't. I haven't introduced you yet because your voice is so distinctive. Yeah. I actually feel you've got one of the most distinctive voices I I've ever know. heard. So I don't think I need to, but I'm going to. Okay. I'm. This is walking the dog, and I'm with the very wonderful Adrian Childs, and Aid has very kindly agreed to do this for me, even though he doesn't have a dog. His friend. Can we name your friend? Yeah. His name's David Myson. But everyone he, calls uh, him Myson. Myson, yeah, and he's, uh, he's in fashion. So I'm absurdly well connected in fashion since my best mate is in fashion. He sells fabrics. But he does not like his dog at all. He has got no interest whatsoever. Only got it because he's, he's, uh, his wife, Christy, um, oh, yes. before they had kids, desperately wanted a dog. And he said to me one day, look, Christy's, I'm busy. Christy's got to go and pick this flipping puppy up. Yeah. Will you go and get it? And he's one of these people who's born within the M25, <laughs> who, do, who thinks everywhere outside the M25 is the same distance. So Imagine I added, being I, one well, of those people. I, I, had in my, yeah, I had in my mind that it might be something like Maidenhead or something. No, it was, it was Cheshire. So I had an eight-hour round trip to Cheshire, going and fetching this, going to fetching Hugo from this a very, very mirthless breeder who had thousands of dogs there. Well, no, it wasn't like a poppy farm, but it was, she, she was a very committed breeder but she I've met some of those yeah but she 
she um, said, oh, he's been chipped. And I said, you know, I wouldn't mind one of those chips myself, just in case I went missing, so people knew where I was. It's, and she just looked at me, straight <laughs> face, and said, no, no, they're only for dogs. Humans can't get them. <laughs> oh, all right. So You thought, you know what, we're not going to be friends. Yeah. So what type of dog is Hugo Aid? Is he a Cavapoo? He's like an, an impossibly well-behaved, obedient and good-natured Cockapoo, cockapoo. which is a terrible name. For a Do dog. you think so? Well, it's just so West London, and they're kind of so obedient. They're just the wrong side of boring, generally, I think. But but also, he's christened Hugo by the mirthless uh, by the mirthless breeder, <laughs> and it's into, And you call for a park in West London. You call Hugo, and half the kids in the park come sprinting towards you. So it's a. I try not to use his name. Hello. 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 How you doing? You're right. Uh, yeah. What about you? Got to give Ray some fuss as well. Hello. Hello. You're lovely. What's your name? Hugo. Is his Hugo. Name. Yeah. He's, uh, oh. he's, he's a upper middle class dog. I'm afraid. Yes, he is. Not mine, yeah. <laughs> Don't they have the best of surroundings now? Yes, they do. Yeah. yeah. Lovely. They've got five star beds. <laughs> nice to meet you. Bye bye. Nice to meet you. Come on, Aid. We'll go over here. Does he wait at crossings, Hugo? He's good like that. Mm, so, yeah, he... I'll follow you. He comes when called. Can I just generally. say, Aid, yeah. I feel really a little bit angry about that. Why? Because, well, I felt Ray yeah. was throwing a bit of shade there. She was, yeah, I is, felt... It was like Love Island, where he, he is all small. the attention went on. Hugo was... She got the element of the myopic about her as well. I think she might have just... Well, the moment she just went, oh, you're it. lovely. You know what yeah. I felt like? The yeah. ugly friend Ray was like. Yeah. <laughs> Ray's all right. Can I I'll let Ray yeah. off the lead because yeah. Hugo will look after him. Oh, this is nice, Aid. What's his park called? She's acting really. Look, what sort of bugs me here. There's a sign here. Thank you for visiting Ealing Parks. <laughs> Fine. Why the speech marks? Why, oh, why, oh, why? It, why? It absolutely annoys me every morning. I'm going to go in. <laughs> I'm trying to find a Sharpie in that green collar so I can just... So, so, yeah, so it's over. a sign we should describe it. It says, thank you for visiting Ealing Parks, ealinggov.co.uk. Yeah. But what they've done is, yeah, it's pointing out that they've put this in speech, in speech marks. marks. Who are no, they no. quoting? Someone from I the council? Exactly, exactly. I don't know. Oh, Raymond's met a friend, Aid. Look. Yeah. Well, you see, and that friend is ignoring uh, Hugo as well, sir. So. <laughs> Hugo's got a wild streak. Oh, no. no. He's a big one. That's fine. Oh, no, Ray's That's too fine. little. He might get frightened. I have to pick him up. I love German Shepherds though, they're such they're sweet dogs, yeah. they're one of my favourite dogs. Come on mate. Hugo, play with Hugo. There we go. So Wade, thank you so much for doing this today, I'm looking right, forward to welcome. our walk. We'll go for a coffee. Yeah. Look, there's a poodle. There's a Labrador, they're all here. So you don't have dogs yourself, do you? No, I've, I've never had a dog, but I've always, I've never come close to having a dog. My parents didn't like dogs, but I've, through every phase of my life there's been a, an, an important dog in my life, beat my nan's dog, my friend's dog. I can, you know, I could sort of, I could sort of list them all. They've been sort of quite pivotal in their own way, I must say. Really? Mm. There was my, 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 when I was little, my granddad, my nan and granddad had a, a Labrador called Duke. And uh, I left the door open one day at their house. And then Duke ran out and it was my fault. Duke disappeared. I was absolutely oh. beside myself. But then I, was, then I went home and then I was just inconsolable and then my mum bought the phone. Well, mum called me to the phone. I think you, you couldn't bring phones in those days. It was so long ago. No. But she said, it was my granddad on the phone. 
and he said, Duke's just come back, and he said, who was that very silly boy oh. who let me out? I always remember that. I was joking, obviously. But... I know, but you and never then, forget things like and that. And then they had a dog, a Yorkshire Terrier called Mandy, who <laughs> followed him, yeah, who followed him, followed him everywhere. He's, he's got on the back shelf of his Volvo, in his car, went everywhere with him, and when he died, it was a real, it's a real, uh, yeah, it's a poo. Oh, so you go doing uh, a poo? Yeah. Um, there was a real sort of his master's voice thing, just could not. Mm. Oh, God, I can't get the poo bags out. You what, want me that? to do it, Dar? No, no, I can't get them out of the bloody thing. Have you got a... I've got one handy. All right. Hugo's got with. smart black poo bags, like bachelor poo bags. Yeah. Whereas, like, would you object to him having a yeah, coral-coloured yeah, one? I mean, he's done sort of one on the move there, spreading it over sort of two, three metres. Well, I hope that looks it's like that looks like a fossilised poo. That's not his. Oh, look, Aid, what's going on over there? Is that baby yoga, I think? That's very West London, isn't it? The ladies with the... Oh, their legs in the air, really. Oh, let's find a bin for the poo, Aid. There's one. Okay. So, Aid, so you didn't have... Your grandparents had them. Yeah, and this yeah. was in... It's Is it Hagley that you grew yeah, up yeah. in? And then I remember when I was back from... When I uh, when I finished university, I had to go back home because I had a broken leg. I broke my leg playing football. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, so, yeah, you broke your leg Yeah, and football. I had to go home. And then my mate's dog, Dylan, was a very big friend of mine because I had to walk and walk and walk, try and get my leg working again. Yeah. And me and Dylan went absolutely everywhere. Oh, Dylan. Come on, Ray. Ray likes a bin, doesn't he? He's... Uh... <laughs> It's quite little you can lose him behind the Well, bin. do you know what it is? Ray treats walking like sort of shopping. Yeah. He just likes to stop all the time. Oh, look at you going. But do you like dogs, Aid? Yes, I love dogs. Although, I know... Can I just tell you that? You can't see now. It's covered by scaffolding. Oh, yeah. There's a wall under... But, you know, we, uh, by the train line. Yeah. There was a big graffiti appeared on there a couple of years ago. It just said, read more books. So that only in Chiswick could you get... <laughs> I like that. I like that graffiti artist. No, but the, the reason I can't have one, yeah. partly, is I just can't deal with the... I think I've just got to, too low self-esteem to deal with the adoration. I mean, he, he comes round for sleepovers. Even this morning I got him at 8 o'clock and I'm... Everywhere I go in the house, he went to the toilet, he's just looking at me going, oh my God, you're fantastic. Just looking at me in complete adoration. And I just don't feel worthy of it. If he comes for a sleepover, sometimes I just shut him in the other room just to stop adoring me. Do you, it so makes me uncomfortable because I don't feel like I'm doing anything to deserve it. And then you just walk out and leave him and he's heartbroken and then come back in an hour later and he adores you just as much. It's just... It doesn't feel right. Well, the other thing about dogs is that you can lead a consequence-free life with them. Yeah. Because you can disappear, shout at them, do anything yeah. you like, and they'll always be there. Yeah. And also, I guess, because... I suppose your lifestyle doesn't really accommodate no, it, because no. you travel sometimes no, I'm away, as well. No, I'm away a lot, so... Come on, Raymond. Raymond! Yay! So, wait, I want to go back to your childhood to yes. find out a bit what, more what about like it. To, like oh, well, I'd just like to know... You grew up in Hagley. Hagley, which is just, well, I was born in Birmingham and then moved yeah. out to Hagley, which is about 11 miles away from the middle of Brum. Middle of Brum. And would you, I always think, Frank Skinner, who's our mutual yeah, friend, yeah. which is how we know each other, he describes your family as sort yeah. of like something of Downton Abbey. <laughs> no, no, well, and compared to, I mean, compared to Frank, then I think we probably were Downton Abbey, but we were just sort of... You up, were affluent. Upwardly, well, we're sort of upwardly, mi upwardly mobile, sort of middle classes. My parents were all working 
my parents' family, my dad's family are all kind of working class from Handsworth. Mm. Um, but, and so that's what you did if yeah. you had a little business. You moved out, you know, made some money. You moved out of, you moved out of central Birmingham and went to somewhere like Hagley. Right. So Hagley, actually, nobody was actually born in Hagley as far as I can see. Very few people are sort of, of my parents' generation. People just moved there when they did well in Birmingham. But yeah, sort of reasonably well off. My dad has a successful scaffolding company. And did, did your mum work or was she a... No, she worked for my tube. Well, she sort of looked out for us, but then also she had a sort of part-time job with my dad. And there was your a, brother, Nev. Yeah, he was three years younger than me. And your mum's Croatian, isn't yeah. she? So did you... Actually, she can't bear dogs, actually, which is another reason we didn't have them. Really? Well, she couldn't get bear cats either, but we, had, we always had cats for some reason. But, the, um, but, no, but she couldn't bear dogs. To this day, she can't have a dog in the house. Well, I wonder what that is. She just doesn't like them. I don't, I don't think Croatians are that in, as into them. I don't know. What's, have you ever looked at that? What's the, what country has the most, you know, biggest percentage of dog ownership? Well, do you know what? I certainly find the British attitude to dogs is fame infamously, isn't it? Yeah. Very different to, like, for example, most Europeans. Yeah. They, most people think we're very sentimental. Yeah. Hugo, hang on. Hugo. Hugo. Wait. You're going to put him on his lead, eh? Yeah, just went across the road. Hello, look. Oh, hello, gorgeous. He looks like he's a cockapoo or a cow. He's a mad cockapoo. Mine's thick rather than mad, I would really? say. But yeah, I mean, nice. A bit like me. Yeah, well, he is just so adorable. I love yeah. him to bits. Oh, do you? What, no downside at all? Yeah, I've wrecked half my life for the all first right. year. It's probably <laughs> about three grand's worth of eating through rubbish and all right. stuff. But now it's a year and a half. I'm not so All bad. right, good. Oh, hello. Well done. So, yeah, your mum's Croatian. Yeah. So you speak, you and Nev, do you both yeah. speak... Yeah. Croatia. Yeah, not brilliantly, but yeah. And what, how would you describe your childhood aid? Like, like when you think of when I think of my childhood, I think of bohemian chaos. And no, there was no, definitely nothing bohemian about it. Yeah. I think somebody wrote that book, didn't they? They um, I never actually read it, but it looked good. The premise. It was called "They Tuck You Up, Your Mum and Dad." Oh, I have. Oh, that? really? Just uh, just about a. Yeah. You know, you know, later on in life, you're having some kind of emotional crisis you know you cast back to your childhood and I can't think of a bloody thing that caused it do you know what I mean everything <laughs> everything was sort of you know pretty good did you have a sort of open I say open relationship but did you have the kind of relationship with them which I think of as quite a modern relationship yeah. that you probably have with your daughters yeah. where they can talk to you about emotional issues no, or no not I think we were I think we were more more open than most families because that's a kind of a Croatian way just get it out in the open and say it but yeah but but there was a I don't know my mum remains very much of the persuasion of you know you got an issue just um, have a word with yourself and sort it out and pull yourself together kind of thing so do you think that yeah no I don't well I think I think there's room for that I think it's, it's just nobody knows where to draw the line so you know I've often thought to myself just there's been times when I just needed to have a word with myself and get on with it and there's times when I was you know properly struggling and, and, and there's you know I don't know where you draw that line I think is difficult in terms of mental health yeah come here Ray sorry Age, you keep stopping he just has a thing for lampposts we haven't seen a bin for a while there's a bin <laughs> coming up so I'm, Ray there's one coming up Ray there's a bin coming so up so I need about another 2,000 paces for you and you'll be there <laughs> And were you and Nev close? Because I know yeah, you are yeah. now, your brother. Yeah, yeah, very close. We had, uh, we did a fair amount of fighting. Did you? Yeah, and he, I was always kind of jealous of him because he had, no, I wasn't, no, actually I wasn't jealous, but the fact was he was better at me at everything I wanted to be good at, like girls, 
football, <laughs> making things. Just oh, ev everything I was useless at. He was he was incredibly he was incredibly good at. So uh, that was that was quite annoying. And were you academically good at school? Because um, you ended up. No, you know, I wasn't. That, I was. I went through a kind of a. I was, and then I went through a sort of mediocre age when I was about sort of 14, 15. But then sort of managed to slightly pull it back. I was just very, I was very good at English, was the only thing I was any good at. But yeah. then other stuff, you know, history and stuff I wasn't too bad at. And were you the kind of person, aid that was, I always call it the look at me gene. I sort yeah. of had that a bit growing yeah. up, you know, where with me and my sister, I'd do things like the Emily Dean show for Christmas or something. Yeah. People would have to sit through this terrible show. Yeah. And I think there is often, especially with sort of two siblings in a family, you get that a lot. I don't know if you notice it with your daughters, that there's one who's just a bit more thirsty for that kind of attention. Yeah. Were, yeah. You, were you like that at all? Were you shy? I suppose you've got to say, in later life, I suppose there must have been a bit of that going on, or I wouldn't have gone into doing what I was doing. And I was certainly more into sort of school drama and that kind of thing. So there was a... Yeah, I suppose there was a bit of that. Mm. But I don't really think I wanted for attention either, you know. There was definitely that older, you know, that older sibling thing, older ones for some reason got the weight of the world on their shoulders. I see that now in a lot of my friends' kids. Yeah. The older one tends to be the kind of the more serious one. Yeah. What, did you sort of have an idea of what you wanted to do? Were you thinking, right, I uh, know I'm going to be well, doing... Well, I mean, like, like, if you said to me you're going to be a, even a journalist, let alone a sort of a well-known presenter, broadcaster, I would have, I would have wanted that. Like, I wanted to play in golf at West Brom or, or be a fighter pilot or something it just wasn't yeah. it just wasn't a realistic aspiration so i sort of vaguely wanted to be a journalist but i couldn't be bothered with all that college putting the student union magazine together and sitting around on the floor with you know cutting up bits of paper with other wannabe journalists i just couldn't be bothered with it so i wrote for it occasionally but yeah. generally didn't have you know any of the things you needed to do a postgraduate course in journalism so just yeah so i just didn't bother i was going to go abroad and teach english as a foreign language but then when I left college, but then I broke my leg playing football and couldn't go. So I just ended up applying for a journalism course and got, in, got into one, so. Did you ever think or hope that you'd be a footballer? Well, briefly, but not, but, but complete and utter fantasy. <laughs> the only slight hope I had when I went to university, I, I realised I was a better goalkeeper than anything else, but I know I was absolutely nowhere near good enough. I can to... really see you in goal. Aid, yeah. that's what you look like. A, a you look like a goalkeeper. All right, thank you very much. But you're not tall enough for that. I'm only 6'1". You need to be about 6'6". Six, six, six no, now. but you could be a 1970s yeah. goalkeeper. But then I found him, I was playing quite seriously, I found, you know, I'd get, make a proper save. You know, people don't understand about goalkeeping. When you, you jump high up and then land on the floor, it bloody hurts. I was literally seeing stars. And like on the bumpy pitches, I remember, every time I made a save, I needed about three teammates to come and pick me up again. Well, you don't see that in the Premier League, do you? You know, no. goalkeepers can definitely, unless they've been booted in the knackers, they can generally get themselves to their feet again. Also, my concern about you being a goalkeeper is that... I'll tell you something else. I've got an app on my phone. Every time a plane goes over, oh, yeah. I have to know where it's going. So that now, one... you've got this... You're a bit of a train spotter, no, well, literally. Not, no, well, a plane spot. See, that one there, it's going, that's, uh, that's a... What is That's it? a long haul. How can you tell that? Because it's got four engines, you can see. Yes, but that's quite you, because I think you like... I can imagine you doing train spotting when you were younger. 
Not really, no. Did you well, not? No, I can't say I did. I mean, I like a train, don't get me wrong, as much as the next man, but I don't... <laughs> Well, I'm depends not gonna, who the next man I'm not gonna, is. Well, I don't know, I'm not going to stand it, on the end of a platform. When you say I like a train as much as the next man, yeah. the next man could be Richard Branson. That's true. Come here, Ray. This is, this is boring for you, but look. So that plane's coming into land now. Adrian Geneva. Oh, okay. a plane yes, spotting app. Geneva. It's come from Geneva. You see, it's just coming in over the top of us now. But look, look at, look at how many times it's had to circle on the way in. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you see. Yes, Hugo likes a plane, don't you, Hugo? Hugo, hey, let's get a coffee for our walk, can we? I yeah. love a coffee. So what, what were you like as a young man? I've seen pictures of you. There's a very famous passport photo of yeah. you, which you had as your WhatsApp avatar, yeah. which yeah. I loved that you had that, because it was one of the most horrible pictures yeah. ever taken of you. It was, but then <laughs> I was going off to... Uh... But sort of adorable, because yeah. you, you just looked like... Like, you know when you're a bit clueless at that age? But but when, when I was I was flying off somewhere with Lee Dixon. Oh, yeah. Because he's a mate of yours, isn't he? Yeah, well, we were working together. He said, this is why you should never go on the internet. And he showed me his phone. And yeah. somebody had got hold of that picture and uh, scrawled over it once a... Oh, over my, Over my... I actually find I, that really upsetting. I know, but that's what happens on the internet, apparently, so I'm told. On that that's why you on, don't go on it. On that Twitter thing, no? Oh, this is nice. Le Petit Café, can we go here? That's a very nice thought, yeah. What do you want? Yeah. Oh, let me get it. Hello. Morning, guys. What would you like, Aid? I'll have a um, small black Americano, please. It's a nice start to the day, though, Aid, the dog walk. Yeah. That's the thing I like about it, because I see it as a kind of slightly meditation. Is there anything... Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Is there anything you change about, Ray? Oh, that's a good question. Because you don't really know what dog you get until you've got it yeah. and start with it. So, I mean, obviously you'd never, you'd never change Ray, but if you could have had another breed, Ray and another breed, what would that, what would that oh, be? Would I have another breed? Would you have a bigger one, a smaller no, one? No, I don't think I would. I'm thinking of getting a second one because I think he needs a friend. I'm just worried he might turn into... I don't want him to be some sort of Anthony Perkins in Psycho right. son. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. He's a bit... Mother! <laughs> He's getting a little that yeah. way. I do, do you know what, Aid? I wouldn't change a thing about him. Right. Because... And that's what I think is quite unique about dog ownership. Okay. Come here, buffoon. Because I have this idea that, well, it's not an idea, it's true, that because you have a brief time with dogs, yeah. with human beings, you don't know when they're going to go. Yeah. With dogs, you know from the outset that there's an end date to the yeah. relationship. You hope you'll get 15 years, but it might be seven, yeah. it might be eight. And I think it's quite a good yeah. way to live your life. Yeah. And I do remind myself of that genuinely. Like in the way that with my sister, I sort of wish I'd reminded myself, oh, God, this might not... You don't know when I yeah. lost her, but with Ray, it actually it makes you sort of be a little bit kinder and act yeah. in a slightly more decent way. Because I genuinely say oh, I won't take him for a walk, and I think oh, but he's probably only got ten more summers. So yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Although it's the first Hugo's the first dog I'm involved with since I've sort of birthed him and no. got him from the got him from the breeder, so to speak. And then it made me sad he's like going a bit grey now and he, he, he still feels like a baby to me. It's like I talk about my children, really. Just this accelerate <laughs> thing. It's like seeing a footballer and you see like Beckham. You see their career, what ages you see their career go from infancy to sort of to obsolescence. 
or like the, or like the, the videotape. We saw that go from birth when it was nothing and it was all new. Yeah. And then suddenly it's old. You've seen the whole cycle <laughs> of it. That happens as you get older. It's alarming. I can't then, believe he's going grey already, Shida. Yeah. So, um, when you did, went to university, you did English literature. Yeah. It was the wrong degree to do. I, I was spent it? my Why? life talking people out of doing it. It's pointless. Books are for reading, not studying. And also, books are written. They're not written for... They're not written for 19-year-olds. They're written for adults who are going to yes. ex have experienced the world and can empathise with what's being talked about. Unless you're going to read Catcher in the Rye. Which then, is what everyone yeah. reads. Ray. Actually, I've never read it. Is that any good? I've never read that. Well, oh, look, yeah. these kids will love Ray. He, goes, he plays very well with this demographic, yeah. the children. Yeah. Do you want to buy him? You can have him. <laughs> 20p. You've got 20p on you. <laughs> He plays very well with the youths, See? the young market. He's got a very young market. Where were we? What were we saying? Yeah, Catch on the Right. It is, but it's a... Again, you're right, actually. It's yeah. a great book to read when you're that yeah. age. I don't quite know what I'd get out of it now, yeah. if I'm honest. It's something, it just didn't occur to me until I was... You know, when I read... My, my hands-down, my favourite novelist is Richard Ford. And, you know, he writes about a... He writes about, you know, bloke, midlife crisis, somebody you can empathise with, you know, mm, divorced, mm. whatever. And I just, it just suddenly occurred to me, I was reading it and loving it in my 40s. I thought, well, if I was at university now, I would have done the American literature course yeah. and I would have studied Richard Ford. What could a spotty 20-year-old know about, you know, about the, the life of a middle-aged man? I could possibly empathise. And like, yeah. oh, it's about empathy, but you can't empathise with that, really. But I also, if yeah. you like reading, don't do English. I used to love Thomas Hardy. Suddenly I had to read five of the <laughs> effing things in a week and it was absolute misery. But also the other thing is, I certainly think that with poetry, that I think life experience is helpful yeah. to appreciate it properly. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It sounds like we're saying young yeah. people can't appreciate literature. I'm not saying yeah. that. But I guess studying it to that level... But on, something you said to me once, actually, I remember you said you're very. You said I'm very disciplined about my reading. You said of yourself. Oh yeah. And that, and I've, that, I've, I, I took that on board. I became disciplined about that. I also became disciplined about listening to music, and that really changed things for me. When I stopped, I stopped listening to the same old thing and forced myself to listen to new things and stuff. And I got into hip hop and stuff, which Did is absurd just by re yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just idiotic. I mean, I could, I couldn't listen to it out loud, but I was listening to it on the. On the on the on the on a train from Birmingham yesterday, just think, oh, this is just so imaginative. It's so brilliant. But it, other, if you're not careful, you can just end up listening to the same John Martin album yeah. for the rest of your days or something. So, well, I started listening to more classical music weirdly, yeah. and I think what that's interesting that we're both doing that, and it's similar sort of vintage. And I do think that is to do with getting closer to the grain. Yeah. I hate to depress you, but I think it's yeah. there's that sense of well, I haven't. There's so much stuff. Yes, and I, I, I think yeah, I know, yeah. Do you know I what think I mean? if you're of a curious disposition, yeah. then I think you start to panic as you get older because you suddenly realise all these things I'm curious about, all yeah. these places I want to go and things I want to read and things I want to listen to. If you don't crack on, you're not going to get to bloody do them. Yeah, no, I think that's so true. And that but it's like you say, that's the problem with being a student, is because you have no sense of an end yeah. date in sight. Um, you don't have that sense of urgency. Come on, Ray. Oh, he's being good now, isn't he? So, wait, so how did you end up in TV then, after...? Because um, I, I did a journalism course, and then I got a job at, the, at Birmingham um, 
I got a job at the Birmingham Post after that, but in the mid, that didn't start for sort of four months hence. So I got some work experience at the BBC and then the editor there took a shine to me and got me a uh, issue set on this bench for a oh, bit. Oh, lovely. And uh, he just took a shine to me, this guy Paul Gibbs, and he changed my life really. He gave me a job as a researcher. Yeah. And then I went over to radio for a bit and there was someone on there I'll on daft the enough. Yeah. There was someone there daft enough to get put me on air doing something and then But weren't you know. really nervous when you did that? No, that's interesting. I mean I kind of was, but it's really interesting. I'm good friends with a guy called Jonathan Trott, who was one of the world's greatest batsmen. Hey. And then he famously had what amounted to a sort of a nervous breakdown on the pitch in um, but you know, I was talking to him about you know the stresses of being a cricket announcer, and he made his debut, I think, for England at the Oval, and he scored a hundred. He said you must have been terrified, and he went, "No, you got no, you got no fear then, just excitement. You're kind of nervous, but it's just excitement. You have got nothing to lose, and as you get older, it's got something to lose, and you become more and more nervous. You become more and more anxious, which is exactly what happened to me. Mm. I ended up on." He ended up on, on the telly and I was looking, you know, I used to broadcast standing on my head for hours on end. And suddenly I had like 20 words to read to introduce an England game on ITV at Wembley. And I was looking at it. I thought, I just, I can't say these words. I just don't know how do I say those words. You know, there, there's, I see, you know, there's 40 syllables there. I could mess any one of them up. How, how do I ever do that? I mean, it literally got like that. And it was, you know, it was, it was hard. It was interesting. It was about the time Trotty then you know, things went pear-shaped for him. We'd literally just met. We just met. He was the best batsman in the world, and I was the main presenter on ITV and everything else. And then when we next met, four months later, everything had gone, got the boot from ITV, and he'd um, and uh, and he'd uh, you know, and he'd he'd finish with cricket or finish with international cricket anyway. I just I just think you know, you, if you're driven to succeed, you can end up putting too much pressure on yourself, being mm. too scared of failing. So I think almost when you were younger then, it's almost that sense of you didn't, you, you, weren't, you were going into it, sort of rushing into it, you know, without too much thought, in a sense, of what you yeah. had to lose. And also, do you think also, Ed, because you didn't come, I was always nervous about going into that area just because I think I came from a TV family and I didn't want to be seen yeah. to be failing or trying at something, which yeah, was... Yeah, yeah. No, whereas do you think it wasn't part of your world? So I didn't have that, well, because it, it had... Sort of my generation generally, you were you tended to be the first person in your family who'd even gone to university, mm. because access to education was sort of had, had been widened, I think, to higher education, and so I was the first to go to university, and then no one in my family had ever been anywhere near anything like, you know, any anything like I went into, anything like journalism. Working lunch was the thing that you did for a long time, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. And that well, I started off on Five Live, actually, when Five, oh, Live, five Live launched, first, launched and, you? Then, yeah. and then Working Lunch launched, and I, and I got that job. I did that for 13 years. So did you like so, doing that, aid? Yeah, I did. I, I loved it, actually. And looking back, I mean, you never know how lucky you are in your first job, but looking back, we had a brilliant team. And also, we were, because nobody really watched us. I mean, we had like half a million, maybe, yeah. the audience, but we had a very small, very loyal audience. The bosses weren't that bothered about us. We didn't cost very much. So we could, so we could just mess about and find ourselves and sort of experiment and be ridiculous and, you know, and fail without it being a calamity. You so, almost learnt your 10,000 hours then yeah, in a yeah, nice yeah. way. No, absolutely. You no, were so competent. Yeah, yeah. By the time you got to yeah. the one show, it was, which you had been, it was like you were yeah. 
I mean, that was a slightly different skill set because everything was so bloody short. The time, you know, because every interview you did, whether it was Michael Caine or whoever, mm. it couldn't be more than three minutes long. So, and that is, if it's two of you presenting it, you've got about one question each and then one other question. And then, you know, it got, it got to the stage, I couldn't have a conversation in a pub with anybody that lasted longer than four minutes. You know, it's just everything had to be so quick. It was interesting when I went back to doing Five Live, it's quite, it, it, it had to relearn how to structure a longer interview because generally you get 10, 15 minutes with somebody. If you're any good, you're going to get something out of somebody in 10 or 15 minutes. Yeah. But it, it took a while to, you know, to, to pace things, not just you, you just use everything up in the first two minutes and, think, and then get rid of them. I think with celebrities, what you want to get out of them is the ordinary. Yeah. And I think with ordinary people, you want to find out how exceptional they are because everybody is. Yeah. I can just... I mean, everybody is a mine of information if you're interested enough to, to sort of to, to want to hear about it. I just, it just, it fascinates me. And I'm very lucky. The best thing about being famous, it can be difficult because some, you can't switch it off. But everybody wants to talk. You know, everyone wants to talk to you. And then, but then I end up asking them more questions about themselves. And sometimes that can put them on the back foot. Mm. But and I'm just genuinely interested. I love, I love wandering around in places in nondescript kind of places, just randomly happen to be passing. I think I'll stop, I'll drive to some town I've half heard of and just wander around and see what happens. I just love Hang wandering. Hang on, so you would get in the car and just drive to the town? Well, it's more, it's, it, more when I was in Manchester, I always had Mondays free. And so I'd go, I think, well, I'll go somewhere this afternoon, weather's nice. Mm. And I looked where I could get to on the train from Salford and I saw Chorley, never been to Chorley. And then I said to the, I asked around at work and somebody said, I live in Chorley. He said, what do you want to go there for? I said, well, that's exactly why I do want to go there. Because, you know, just to go, got on the train, went there, went for something to eat, had a wander, had a chat to a couple of people, walked around a park, sat and did some work in this cafe, I was talking to the bloke there, and then got the train back. I just think, I'm always fascinated to talk to people. I met a bloke in a pub in Birmingham, it was from Landoffrey in, uh, in, in South Wales. And he was just saying, there's no, there's no school there anymore. People have got to go half an hour to school. There's no jobs there. You know, there's affordable housing everywhere. It happens to be not where the jobs are is the problem. I mean, there's going to be some kind of see, social when you engineering. You like this, and I've always thought this about you. I thought, oh, I wonder if aid would ever go into politics. Would you? Actually, I'd love, yeah, I've got, I can't find anyone I particularly believe in, but in a way, I'd love to. I'd love to be. So I'd love to be a constituency MP. But I, I mean, can I'd really be useful, see you but going I mean, around. I just go around and talk to people. Yeah. I was talking to an MP the other day about how many it was. I said, if there's, there were like eighty thousand in his constituency. There tend to be seventy, eighty thousand in constituency, mm. and I worked for the length of a parliament of five years. I worked out. To speak to everybody, you'd have to speak to 40 different people every day, <laughs> which would be difficult. But I mean, I'd be the man. I'd just go around, just go around talking to people. I can see you people. in politics. It's interesting though, because that sort of takes a bit onto fame and you, you touched on it yeah. briefly. And I feel that I knew you when you were in, let's call it the white heat of yeah, your, yeah. your fame, which is what I talk, yeah. say to Frank yeah. when we talk about the three lines yeah. period. Because yeah. everyone gets that, don't they? Mm. You get a white heat period your sort of Sergeant Pepper's period. Mm. I've got to be honest, you strike me as happier now than you were then. I'm sort of more fulfilled, I'm more fulfilled at, with work and what I was doing, with what, what I'm doing. Um, was it when you yeah, did- Yeah, I couldn't really, yeah, I could, looking back, I mean, it's great, but it's just, it's all adrenaline. And then you and then you don't make good decisions when everything's all adrenaline, it was all exciting. I, I, it was great, I kind of wouldn't change anything. 
but actually working out what happens next is hard. Well, after the one show? Yeah, or, well, yeah. It sort of, well, it was more after sort of, it was more after sort of ITV and everything, because you, because you're there in a position, if you're not careful, where you're defined by what you used to do. Now that, that's, you know, and, and that becomes a challenge because everywhere, you know, I, I mean, literally 50 times a day, even now. But I mean, for years, people say, oh, you're not on telly anymore. It, I've just run out of ways of answering that question. Oh, you're not on telly, you all right? Are you okay? Like, yeah, and then just, I was fine not being on telly until people look at you like you might have died and you're like you're some kind of ghost. You're not, so you're defined by what you used to be and that, that becomes, becomes difficult. In the end, it becomes like keeping a brand alive and I'd never talk about myself mm. like that. But I did some conference about some award ceremony of some branding licensing thing and I was just trying to see myself through the prism of a brand. And it's interesting, you know, I was always taught to look at the future, think what you might be in the future. I thought it was that I was above that. but. In the end, you have to, or you end up being defined by what you used to be. Right. And interestingly, the, you know, I've done a few things since I've been really pleased with, but the thing I did about alcohol has changed the conversation. And it, tellingly, what defines me now is, oh, you're the, you're the drunk. And I'm actually, <laughs> at least it's current. I mean, it's more, it's, it's more, it's better than we what I used say, to be. in case anyone doesn't know, but it, it was very high profile, so I'm sure people do, but you did a documentary, didn't mm. you, about, was it last year or earlier this year? No, last September it was Yeah, on. and cool. it got a drink, lot of drinkers like me, yeah. Mm. You are one of the few people I know that you're exactly the same as you are yeah. off screen. But do you know something, something interesting about that is, I mean, when I first got slightly well-known presenting Working Lunch, I went to some of the Sony Radio Awards because I was also doing radio at the time, and, I, and um, Steve Wright came up to me, and I kind of revered Steve. You know, mm. I still think, uh, where's my dog? You go. You go. I was underneath. Um, and it's like a bunk bed setup. Yeah, yeah, it is. Steve. <laughs> um, anyway, he came up to me, and I was so flattered he recognised me because he watched Working Lunch and stuff. And we was this pre one show? Sorry. Yeah, 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 long time. I was just doing Working Lunch, hardly yeah. on telly, but he recognised me, and he said, he talked for a bit, and he said, you know, it's really nice talking to you. I said, oh, I knew to Steve, and he said, you're exactly in real life like you are on the telly and I went um, I went yeah yeah and he goes it's really good to see in the end you'll go mad though in the end that's what will make you go mad and not I went, all right and I didn't know what he meant at all but I found out what he meant as I've told him since because it's partly if you're playing a part of yourself then you can always slightly say oh you don't even subconsciously someone says they hate you think well that's the program presenting or that's the part I'm playing on that but if that's your act, if, you, if, if it's not an act rather, if it's actually you, then when they say they hate you, they sort of hate you, I think. So that can, you know, they, then it does feel like genuine sort of hatred. That is so fascinating. I've never actually thought about that. So in a way with an actor or, yeah. or even a musician, you've got, there's a, there's a wall, isn't there? There's yeah, a wall yeah. between, there's a buffer between you and people. But yeah. for you, and actually but during the one show that was, that must have been all your dreams come well, true. No, well... Or did it not feel like no, that? No, not really, I mean... At that point, I'm saying. Yeah. I think it felt like to me, there's a bloke I used to work with a lot, we used to play golf, and he, he did a shot once, and it was... Um, there's a shot you can play in golf where you don't hit it properly, but it hits the sort of end of your club, and you, it feels terrible, it makes a terrible noise, and it just shoots along the floor, and it's not a golf shot, but it can go a long way. Said, um, I enjoyed it, but wasn't very proud of it. And I, I thought that's now that is how I felt about the one show. Actually, I'd never, 
I enjoyed it and I enjoyed it. It was a good laugh doing it. And I was proud of it in the sense that, look, you get anyone to watch factual television at seven o'clock at night and get five million people watching, then you're doing something right. But I just felt like it could have, it was a slightly missed opportunity, you know, you could have just been, could have been a little bit cleverer. Mm. It could have been a little bit, not highbrow exactly, but, but then it would mix that up with some really heavy stuff. I mean, I had to go once, John Humphreys was being interviewed, he'd written a book about death. And so I had to go from, oh, there was something about rabbits or something and go into a thing about, into a thing about death with John. And he went, I mean, he said it and he meant it. And it yeah. really took us a couple of minutes. He said, blimey, you're a pro. I couldn't have turned that corner. I just don't know how you did that. No, you were the um, the the truck driver of gear changes, I also yeah, like yeah. you would do it very seamlessly, and you go, okay, so. Uh, <laughs> well, you had to. Well, you what go? you could do on that, you could sort of level with the audience. Say, look, help me out on this. You know, we got to we got to go from this to this. I know it's ridiculous, but bear with us. It's just got to be done. I've often wondered. You know, I was always known as the gloomy, grumpy one. Well, in, you can start conforming to your own stereotype if you're not careful. So, you become playing the part of somebody being gloomy. Makes you makes you gloomy and miserable. Mm. I just read a lot about mindfulness at the moment and there's a lot in there about hello, just smile, lift your head up and look at people people will smile back and you'll feel better yeah. if you go around just looking miserable then people will you know, people will, you know, will, will but hey, that's why I back. take, honestly with the dog walk it's forced me and particularly I had this with grief and depression yeah. which I did get it forced me to have daily interactions because it means that I would interact with a stranger, which is sometimes easier than friends, because yeah. friends would check in and say, are you okay? And I think I can't answer that yeah. question. But a stranger didn't know my backstory. Yeah. So I could just say, yeah, I'm fine, but at least I'd have some human contact. Yeah. And that's, that, that's important, you know? I think with it, and that's why I got a dog, essentially, and it does, uh, yeah. it works. I mean, but but yeah, for I, me, I mean, I'm, a, I'm a, an obsessive kind of walker. And it yes, can get like it walking. can get a bit worrying. It can get to sort of Forrest Gump type, you know, situation. No, it can. I mean, literally. I mean, I'm most depressed. I did fifty-one thousand steps one day in South Wales. Just kept bloody walking. I couldn't think of anything else to do. I felt so desperate. But so you got you got to watch it from that respect. But yeah. I was looking at mindfulness. It's really interesting to see what what does one do mindfully. Now you learn mindfulness, mm. but. I think naturally there's stuff we do mindfully and there's stuff we don't, each of us. Now for me, I'm the least mindful person in the world unless I work at it. I've got a thousand things going on in my head and I'm pacing around and I'm not doing anything. The but, monkey mind, that's what the yeah, video's called. But it. just when I'm walking, generally I do that very mindfully. It's just one step. Just think about the next step, think about breathing and just walk and walk wherever, it doesn't matter where. I find that incredibly soothing. Um, but also... Cooking is the other thing, right? I can completely yeah, lose myself cooking. in cooking. But look at Hugo, he was rolling yeah. around on his back, he's just happy to be on the grass. Um, I want to, I mean, everyone knows your backstory, but I saw something, yeah. Ed, you were on a programme called I'll Get This Recently, oh, which God, was yeah. a BBC programme, yeah. and the premise of it is you have a dinner with people, yeah. and you, you do a series of sort of dinner party games, and the person who loses picks up yeah. the tab. And I seem to remember the one you were on, it was um, Josh Widdicombe was on there and Gemma Collins, and Gemma Collins rather brilliantly lost and said something like, Oh, I'll get it. Right, even touch the sides. Yeah, I don't mind paying <laughs> yeah, for this. Yeah. Like, ruined the whole premise, which I yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. But you, they asked a question, which was why you had to pitch yourself as a TV host oh, or a chat yeah, show yeah, host. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, the question was, I think, why I'd be good at presenting a chat show. And 
So I just, I just heard myself saying stuff, well, I've done it well and I've done it badly. I've been a wild success and a terrible failure. And this time I'd learn from my successes, or I'd learn from my failures, and I'd be the best chat show host anywhere. I didn't necessarily really believe it. And there was, there was, it was like, I was being sort of competitive, I suppose, but it was, I just, um, yeah, I, yeah, I just sort no, of went it for it. Then I thought perhaps I'd overshared a little bit. Did you? Yeah. But when I was, I was, look, it was fine. No. You said, I can remember, because I was like, yeah. but you said this whole thing where you basically talked about how you said, I've done it twice. Yeah. And then you said, you know, I successfully pulled in five million yeah. viewers a night. I know what it takes. Yeah. And you said your dad told you it's yeah, your mistakes yeah, you yeah, learn yeah, did, from, yeah. not your successes. And no. that. No, he, he didn't say it was, he didn't say mistakes even. He said it's failures. failures. No, yeah. And he didn't put it quite like that. But okay. I remember he said, it was when I stood for election to be president of the students' union at, at my college. It was a sabbatical post. You know, actually, that's a really tough thing to do for, in a way because it was a very compact college. There was about 800 people at my college at the university. Mm. And that, and you all, you know, and everybody voted. So most people lived on campus as well. So you kind of knew everybody. And to put yourself up for that, and not be elected would have really hurt. But I got elected. I told my dad, he said, oh, well done. And he said, I always remember, he said, yeah, I think you might have learnt more about yourself if you hadn't been elected. And I thought, oh, that's... And I thought, well, yeah, that's, that's kind of true. I mean, you've got to succeed, but you do learn more about yourself in the, you know, the times you fail. Do you and think I, after, because after, and like, you know, again, what happened? I mean, yeah. you, you left the one show, didn't you? Yeah. And then you went to ITV. Well, I just got, I, I was sort of half being pushed out the one show because they brought Chris Evans in to do the, the big one hour Friday night edition of the one show, which really gave me the arse because, yeah, as, it, as it would anybody. Well, because it'd been my show. I'd launched yeah. it and everything. Then there's something, a big song and dance about a new Friday show and tell me suddenly I can't handle it. And then, you know, look, I, I bore Chris no ill will whatsoever. Absolutely not. I just, I mean, I didn't even bear the, the woman who made the decision much. Mm. You know, it will. I mean, it was her decision. I thought it was the wrong one, but she had the she had the nuts to to uh, to just sort of go with it and stick to it. But then I was going to have to wear it, and then this offer came in from ITV. from ITV. But but if they'd never wanted to bring Chris Evans in, I never would have. I never would have left. You, you know, no, yeah, yeah. Although again, that would you know that would have been hard because you know I didn't you know the, the people who do the rounds and come on and promote things. Mm. There was almost nobody by that stage I was interviewing who I hadn't interviewed before. You know, if, you know, you you you're getting round to the second and third time with people. Yeah. yeah. And and did you feel, you know, when you went so you did Daybreak, yeah. and then and you did um, and you were doing ITV yeah. Sport. Did you have that feeling, age? You know, when you get a slightly odd feeling that something's not right. Did you feel that about Daybreak or? Or did you think this is going to be fine? And it came as a shock that people were responding in the way that they were. I think, I think there, there were a number of things. It was a classic tall poppy thing in a way, because I think Kristen and I are both to a certain extent with the girl and the boy next door. We'd been discovered and then the audience had grown with us. Yeah. And then suddenly, you know, I'm being portrayed as some fat cat, which in some respects I was, and she's been portrayed as some slapper through who's, who's rolling around with a footballer and there was sort of no way back in sort of public affection really I, I you know and once and the script was written before before we got there which is fair enough I, I wish I'd had more 
in a way, I was always thinking, God, this, it became so miserable. I thought, I'll just do the football, that's fine. In a way, it would have been better if I had nothing to fall back on. Because then, because, because then I would have had to have made it work. And I, maybe, yes. I would have, well, maybe I would have tried harder. But, and in the end, I just, didn't believe, I just didn't believe in my, I just didn't, I didn't believe in myself by then. I remember Piers was really nice to me at that time. Piers Ironically, Morgan. Piers Morgan, yeah. I always remember we went for a, I went, I went for a drink with him and he said, and I said I was moaning about what the, you know, the production team, this and, you know, they can't do that. At and daybreak, all the yeah. daybreak. And he said, look, you're blaming everyone else. And I get that, it's frustrating, but the only person who can sort this out is you. You've absolutely got to be the man and go in and do it. You know, that he, you know, and I just, I didn't have that bluster or confidence in myself at that stage. And I didn't, what I always think about the likes of, of, of Piers Morgan or maybe Chris Evans or others, I think it seems to me they always feel they're really successful even when they're not. Even when things are going badly, they will just keep telling themselves and everyone else that they're brilliantly successful. And I've come to quite admire that because I'm the opposite way around. Even though I was, when I was really successful, I felt as if I was failing dismally in some way. Ironically, or ironic's the wrong word, oddly maybe. Alanis Morissette. Yeah. The, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, um, the only time I've felt that, I remember Christine being really concerned because the only time I've been relentlessly positive when she was mithering about doing the doing daybreak, I was saying, "What does mither mean?" But mithering um, is that normal? Just worrying okay, and yeah. stuff about it. And we just and I said, "No, it's going to be great." I've never been so sure that something was going to work as us on daybreak. That's when I had no self doubt at that point. I said, "It's going to be great." So it's interesting when that when I slightly started believing myself, not in an arrogant way. I mean, I wasn't going around saying it's going to be brilliant, but you know, I was. I really wasn't concerned going into it. I was sure it was going to work. But that's not arrogance. I think it's like if you get used to driving at 90 miles an hour and yeah. you never crash. Yeah, you just expect yeah, that's yeah, never yeah. going to happen to true. you. I think that's true. Do, um, after you left, though, Aid, yeah. and obviously, you know, I'm a mate of yours yeah, and yeah. I got to know you around this time yeah. through Frank, I did feel that was so tough yeah. that you went through that. Yeah. Because suddenly you got all this... All this stuff happened, and then you had to leave the sport, which you're so yeah. good at as well. And I don't miss that for a Do minute. you not? Why not? I miss the crack going around, the going around with you know great people, and I enjoyed that. But it, you know, the, for a Champions League night on ITV, you mm. say hello, mm. and then you've thought of three questions beforehand to ask each of your three pundits, and and then. You basically hand to Clive, um, Clive Tilsley. Mm. Then you come out of it. You might have one more minute out of vision. Then it's the match. Then at half time, there's a four minute ad break. Then you've got four minutes to, to ask one question each of your three pundits. And then there's another ad break. Then it's back to Clive. Mm. And at the end of the programme, you've got an ad break, three or four minutes with your three pundits. Someone else does an interview with one of the managers in the tunnel. Mm. And then there's another ad break, come out, one question each, and then goodbye, bang on time. Now, it's very difficult. It's very difficult to shine like that. All you can do, it just becomes about getting the words out in the right order, which has never been my strong point anyway. So it was quite, it was quite difficult to make an impact. I, did, I think it worked better when I did tournaments. Mm. Is but, it, was it like the English literature degree, though? In a way, it slightly not kills your love of football, but it's almost like it becomes something you associate with stress and work as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, maybe. 
but also I can't some you know we do some Champions League game and you know they go oh we got eight million last night mm. or ten million I go great but the reality is you know those eight million we're going to watch it whatever I or anyone else says they're watching the match you know it's it's about how big the match is whereas you know if we got when we got up to five million on the one show yeah. you know you'd earn that you know we'd all earn that you know me Christine and the team had earned that. You know, like when I do a three-hour solo speech radio show now, no music or anything. Mm. You know, at the end of that, I mean, it's totally knackering. But if the show's been any good, then I can probably afford to give myself a pat on the back for that. You know, that now that's fulfilling. Yeah. You know, it's not massively high profile. It's certainly not as well paid. But, you know, I'm getting back on the train of Manchester and head back to Birmingham or London or whatever. You know, fast asleep with my mouth hanging open by Stockport. But I can feel... You know, I can feel good about my day's, uh, my, my, my day's work. You said at one point, there was a point when you were looking at the autocune, you had like, it wasn't like a panic attack, but... Well, it was. It was something approaching a panic attack. What happened then? Well, nothing. I just, I just thought, Cameron okay, I mean, always got the kind of words out, but then if you... You know, so I had a, I had a, I had a personal trainer once, an American guy, who said... He never said much, but he made his words count. I always said, like, overthinking is just depression. We well, said depression is just overthinking, isn't it? And I think... He was right. If you overthink anything, you can balls it up. So I would th- well, I think, right, what's the score? What's the score? I mean, literally at that. So I'd go, half-time had come, and then we'd come back after the break, and I'd go, welcome back to uh, the new camp. It's, and I just couldn't remember the score. I mean, I couldn't remember the score. I just went blank. Because I was overthinking, what's the score? What's the score? Is it 2-1, one, 1-2? One, where am I? You know, just the less I had to do, the more difficult I found it. So, I mean, if you told me, even now, if you told me I've got to go on BBC One live tonight at 10 o'clock and read out my telephone number, I'd find a way of balls in that up. So how did you cope with that, aid eh, through that period? Nothing, you just got to just... get down and sort of get on with it and, I don't know, I don't know, just... But you got through right, it. All right, got through it, yeah. Hugo. Hugo. He's got a real Come thing here. about that dog. What's the matter? I'm going to put you on the lead. Let's I don't, put you I don't on know the why lead. that would make any difference, but I'm going to do it anyway. Did you find after that age, because like I say, I yeah. think your life, to me, it seems like, it seems a better life now. Did you get the sense that there were people that were slightly on for the ride, you know, like friends? Did that change? Uh, or not really? Are your friends still the same as they have always been? Yeah, actually. Because most... I haven't thought about it. There's one or two. Well, no, actually, no, really. Mm. I think everyone, I can't think of anyone I mean, there's a few friends I had at sort of ITV who never even picked up the phone, which, I, you know, really hurt me a bit. But I can't think of anybody who I just, who felt didn't want to know me now I wasn't, you know, now I wasn't on the telly so much anymore. So I think I've been sort of quite fortunate like that. Mm. What well, talking about friends, was an interesting thought struck me the other way. I was at, I was at my... Um, Actually, it was midwinter, and I was at my parents in Hagley, which is mm. where they're still in the house where I was brought up. And I was getting the train from Hagley. It was like six o'clock on a Saturday evening. The train from Hagley to Birmingham and Birmingham to London. And, you know, I used to get on that train a million times when I was a kid, mm. back and forth to Birmingham. And this, and I was just standing there, and I was watching the kids sort of sitting around, drinking some cans just by the station, laughing, flirting, smoking, whatever yeah. they were doing. And I was just, I was just looking at them in the dark there. I was just staring at them. And it really, it really sort of 
stopped me in my tracks. I mean, they felt like they were, they were like my ghosts. You always think of ghosts as somebody from the past mm. haunting you, but I felt as if they were haunting me. You know, they were, they were me. And I just felt sort of haunted by them, sort of looking at them. I mean, in, in mm. a good way, I just thought, God, that's me. Here I am now, 52, and there. And that was you. And then that, that was me. But this is what I find interesting is how, you know, we, you talk about that period in terms of it being a failure and this terrible thing that happened and you've learned from it. And yeah. actually when you look back at that kid on that wall yeah. or whatever, what an extraordinary achievement. Yeah, yeah. How, how your life, you no, know. But I don't, I don't, but I don't bottle it. You know, I just think part of being driven, I think the image I came up with recently talking to somebody, it's like, it's like if you put all your, at life's achievements in a bucket. It's like there's a hole in that bucket. Right, so then it just sort of empties. Well, so when I'm, that sort of thing happens? Well, right, all, all the time. What? I can wake, you know, I can... It's like every day feels like a clean... You know, I just think, well, I've got it all to prove because everything that's gone before doesn't matter a jot. You know, I've got to start again. You know, say if I think somebody loves me, I think, well, how do I know they, have, they still love me in the morning? Well, it's all, it might have all drained away, who knows? You know, I just don't feel, I don't, I, don't, I don't bank any of my achievements. Oddly, the bucket marked disasters hasn't got a hole in it. That's absolutely bloody full. But, I can't empty it, I've, I've got to slop it out occasionally. But that's but a sort of um, pathological, yeah. that's a pathological pessimism yeah. though, Ed. Yeah. But you know that's part of your... Yeah. Also, the other thing I've identified recently, talking to a priest, I know some really nice priests, which is a, always a help, is when something bad happens, I always think, well, yeah, I, I deserve that. What, why wouldn't? I mean, you know, like when people get ill, when people get cancer, they go, why me? Mm. Well, I never think that. I just think, yeah, well, quite right. I mean, I'd, you know, I've had loads of luck. I deserve to suffer a bit. You know, what, 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 I would always say, why not me? Why do you so think... If anything, so if anything good happens to me, I sort of thank God for it. But anything bad happens to me, I think, all right, fair play. I deserve, I deserve to suffer. And that's quite... I think that's... Obviously, that's not very healthy. Um, so it won't surprise people to know you're a Catholic. Yeah. Um, and you, was that a later in life thing? Yeah, yeah, I was 39. Why did you a become a Catholic? I just like, I just went to, I'd always been a believer, despite coming from a family of atheists, but I never found a church to go to. I went a bit, I went to some happy clappy churches and I thought they were, I couldn't bear it. And then I went to some bog standard Anglican churches and I just, I don't know, it just didn't do anything for me. And then... There's nothing bog standard about being Catholic. I mean, about being Anglican. I mean, just a, you know, Anglican churches. I just didn't. I went to services there. It didn't quite sort of grab me. But as soon as I walked into a Catholic church, I just felt at home there. And I just felt at home. And mainly because it's just, it felt like people like me. I think it's kind of a British Catholic thing. I think they're kind of sort of blokes. Are quite, you know, blokes I like to go out drinking with, and sort of women I quite fancied, I suppose. Which is now I put it to the priest. But it was some, but it was partly just feeling at home, you know. I, and I've never, I've never really regretted. It. I've gone through phases where I found it not so much difficult. I just thought I'm feeling so unworthy. But it was interesting. I had, I had an incredible moment with, um, well, Vincent Nichols, who is now Cardinal Vincent Nichols. He was Archbishop at the time. He's the head of the Catholic Church, mm. and he he was on. And I'd sort of lapsed a bit. And I was on, um, he, he was on breakfast telly, he was on daybreak. Mm. 
being interviewed about Pope Benedict's visit. And he said... Is that the one with the red shoes, the Prada shoes? Yeah, I think okay. so, yeah. I only know him through yeah. the designers he has. <laughs> when we went into an ad break, as he stood up, I stood next to him and I whispered to him, I said, look, I don't know whether you know, but I'm a Catholic. And he said, oh, I know, I know. And I said, I'm a convert. And he said, oh, I know, I know. And I went, all right. And, he said, and I said, and I, since I got kind of, since, since I became a Catholic, sort of my life collapsed a bit, I got divorced and everything. He goes, oh, I know, I know. I thought, what the hell you But then he said, I said, I said, look, I said, I just, I, said, I just don't feel worthy. I don't, I just, I was babbling. He went, oh, don't be ridiculous. We can only all do our best. Of course you're one of us. You know, at that moment, I thought, you know, you know that, that was massive for me. And that, you know, that, that is, that's kind of what it's all about, you know, sort of. Forgiveness. Yeah, you know, sort of forgiveness, but saying, look, you know, we are all flawed, you know, give yourself a bit of a break. Well, it's you that. Know, I mean, um, some people would say that as Catholic hypocrisy, fine, I don't care what people think, but, they, but, but you know, that was a moment of immense kindness. And I, I, yeah. saw, I saw him last Christmas. Actually, I did some reading at Westminster Cathedral, and uh, I was telling him that, and he was, I know, it was really, it was really, it was a big deal for me. I think atheists get very angry about people sometimes that have yeah. faith, and I think there's an aspiration. I feel yeah. that with Frank, our mutual friend, that he's always yeah. aspiring towards trying to do the right thing. Although he did, in fact, say to me rather brilliantly, he went, oh, Adrian, I can't believe it. He, st he stole my Catholicism. <laughs> now, he, now he's stealing my alcoholism. <laughs> There's something to he be said, said for that, actually. He yeah. said, Aid, he went, that was my thing, alcoholism. <laughs> that was my thing. Yeah, that's good. It's a brilliant observation. Yeah. Yeah. How did you become friendly with Frank, by the way, Aid? Because it's a really sweet bromance um, you two I have. Just, um, but I'd always sort of revered him from afar. And I, I'd saw him about a couple of times, and he just looked sort of straight through me. I went up the Albion, he went... But then I met, <laughs> then I met him... Has he got nicer? I don't, but he seems very... Was he not very nice then? Or did he just not like me very much? Did not like the look of me? Anyway, when we met properly, we went to see West Brom Villa and we scored in the last minute at Villa Park and we almost kissed and we've been very oh. close friends ever since. Also, Buzz, I'll, I'll really, yeah, I'll, so, I'll, I'll, I'll feel really blessed to be his godfather. We should say, yeah, so Aid is um, godfather to Frank's little yeah. boy, Buzz. And Buzz likes uh, Hugo, doesn't he? Uh, Buzz, yeah, well, Buzz is very frightened of dogs. But they came round the other day, and Hugo was with me, and he shied away. But then, but then they, yeah, but then they coaxed them, coaxed him towards Hugo. And uh, I mean, if if anyone's frightened with dog, frightened of dogs, they just need to come to see Hugo. They, you know, that will... well, I don't want to piss on your chips, yeah. Aid, but I'm afraid it was Ray, yeah, who introduced Buzz. I think he was a sort of he's a good entry level dog, yeah. For children, yeah. And in fact, Buzz said, "I think I told you this of Ray, when I took him for a walk." He said, yeah. "That was the best walk I've had since 2017." <laughs> really? <laughs> Frank always says you're quite competitive. No, I don't he said, "Aids, hey, really. very." Is that true? Well, in what? Well, no, I don't. Well, what's his evidence? Well, competitive, for that? I suppose. In that, I think of you, I suppose, as. Okay, I think it was based on you going to a Batman and Robin party. Oh, no, it was based on going to a fancy dress party yeah. or there was a theme. Yeah. He said, I didn't even bother asking. No, but the Batman, no, he's got that wrong. It was because the Batman costume was bigger than the Robin costume and I'm twice the size of him. That's the only reason that happened. He said, I knew he was going to be Batman. <laughs> it's just not true. Um, Aid, can I ask you a question? Do yeah. you have therapy? 
yes, well, I did, I did have, and I sort of stopped because I couldn't afford I got sort of, it was so expensive, and I got absolutely bored to tears listening to myself. Did you? But, um, did you find it useful? I did. Yeah, I did. I think... I think with therapy, I think what you need, you need to... Sometimes I thought I was just frightened of him being bored, so I was making stuff, making myself sound more interesting or troubled than I was. I started worrying about that. Also, I think therapy's flawed. I think when you... There needs to be a mechanism in therapy, I think. So, like, I talk and talk and talk, so I'm telling him a story about myself. Every 10 sessions or 20 sessions, he should be able to say, right, okay, I'm calling the meeting, right? And what the meeting is, is that other people who are close to you, they come in and discuss you with the therapist. So they say, well, this is what he told me, and this is, just to, could you, I could be talking absolute rubbish. I could be absolutely making okay, it up. Can I just say, I never want the meeting to happen. <laughs> no. Imagine you, Frank, all sitting there, yeah. going, right, this is the meeting. Well, and it'd be, but it'd be useful for us, we thought, she feels like that. Well, you know, that, you know, then you've got something to work with. Because I think you can just tell a complete story about yourself. Well, and you no know, one, there's no way of checking whether it's true. And actually some narcissists, they are very difficult. The reason they're so difficult to diagnose is really chronic narcissists can actually fall therapists sometimes. Yeah. But I think someone suggested to me, which I thought was a great thing, that yeah. you know you have like relationship counselling, you yeah. should have that with friends. Yeah. Because I have that. Sometimes if I think I've upset a friend or there's yeah. a... I think, well, I'm, I don't want to confront them, but I'd like this sorted out. Yeah. Can we have someone, a mediator, yeah. who says, what, what do you feel? You could sort it out in an hour. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's true. They should <laughs> Can I just say, we passed the thank you for visiting Ealing Park sign with the quote, yeah. and Adrian just flicked that <laughs> sign the V. This yeah. is the kind of stuff that annoys him. Yeah. You can oh. see it every day, it drives you bloody mad. Sorry. <laughs> Come on, sweetheart. He was handsome, Aid. Did you see that man? What? He was a handsome boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got no arse, really, though, has he? If you look at his bum. God. The glass is all. The arse is always <laughs> half full. <laughs> oh, you set me up like Peter Beardsley. Um, so wait, I want to ask you about your daughters. Yeah. Because yeah. they're lovely and I've met them. Yeah. What's it like being a dad now to two girls? Because I forgot to have children. Um, but um, is it, do you worry? I mean, obviously you worry about them, you're a parent, but yeah. does that slight, oh my God, the bucket's leaking. Does that extend to your feelings about fatherhood or are you able uh, to view that in a slightly more, slightly less? I think. I just remember when like, Evie's 19 now, when she was a baby, just been born. I remember hearing her wake up at night thinking, oh my God, what if she stops breathing? What if she dies? How am I ever going to sleep again? What, what, when, she, what, when she's 18 and going to Australia, how will I ever sleep properly? How do you ever sleep properly when you have kids? I said to a colleague of mine, Peter Allen on Five Live, who had grown up kids at the time, I, said, I told him this and he went, actually, you're right, you never really sleep properly again once you've had kids. And he was right, you don't quite... You don't quite sleep like my mum even now, and I'm 52, my brother's 49. Even now, she says she never quite sleeps properly unless we're both asleep in the same house with her, which hardly ever happens, obviously. But say when we go to a place in Croatia, we're all in the same house, then she sleeps properly. 
Yeah. You know, and I just think, I think there's a... It never leaves you no. then, that sense of... No, and also... Do you think about them in terms of... Because they're... I don't I just find, I just... I, I took Evie to university in uh, September. <gasps> Oh my and, God, um, and, uh, and she, uh, but, she, but Does I remember that feel, I dropped Do you feel really proud and emotional about that? Oh, God, I was definitely emotional. I mean, I knew, you know, she worked hard and did well and everything. What's she doing, Aid? Sociology and philosophy. OK. But then I, when I dropped her off, took, you know, did all the stuff, taking the stuff up to the room, and I hugged her, and then went out, and then I left. I started crying. I cried oh. so much, one of my contact lenses came out. And I couldn't, then I didn't have my glasses or any other contact with me. So I had to get myself together, find the bloody contact and put it back in my hand. I started crying again and I had to stop. I was just walking around this park for an hour. I just couldn't bloody control myself at all. And is the emotion that she's starting her own life or the well, sense I of achievement, is it everything? I mean, in a way, it's also, it is that, but it's also selfish in the sense that you're thinking about what you're actually mourning is the passing of your own life, you know, the passing right. of time. I'm, you know, I'm thinking about that day when I left for university at her yeah. age. I'm thinking, well, where's that time gone? So you, you're crying for your own, yeah. you know, for the, you know, the life passing you by. Aid, I've so loved our walk All and right, I've you. loved hanging out with the dog. What do, what's your, have you enjoyed the dog walk? I have. I always enjoy it. I enjoy seeing you. I enjoy being with Hugo. The sun is shining. I noticed Sir Ray didn't get mentioned there. I've joined being with Ray as well. Ray, he's quiet, quite reticent. You do a little bark every now and then, Ray. Hugo, say bye to Ray. I really hope you enjoyed listening to that and do remember to rate, review and subscribe on iTunes. <laughs>